We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Robin Jones Gunn, and I am here today with my friend, Cheryl Broderson. We are eager to tell you about Susan. We started last week, and Cheryl has more to tell us about this amazing woman. Right, so we're talking about Susan Angeline Collins, who was born in 1851. Sounds right. And now she's 36 years old, and she's about to go on the mission field after... Oh, how long did she take 10 years to finish her education Mm. just because of all of these hurdles that she had to overcome? She's brilliant. But upon graduating from the Chicago uh, Training School for Missionaries, she was recruited by a Bishop Taylor because of her excellent reputation to go to Angola and serve with him in this mission field. And he was with the Methodist Episcopal I believe he was. Yes. So he, though, had her fill out a questionnaire, even though she had passed everything else, with 17 questions. I want to list some of those questions for you. you. Do you trust you are moved by the Holy Ghost to take upon the work of foreign missionary? Isn't that great? Do you feel like this is from the Lord? That's your first Uh, question. Two, do you desire and intend to make this your life work? And are you willing to work in any field? Three, Are you conscious of being entirely consecrated to God and cleansed from sin? Four, are you pressed with an earnest desire to win souls to Christ? And have you any experience and success in revival work? Wow. And it's all interior sort of struggle to come up with that answer that you're honestly saying where God has led you rather than what's your qualification, what's your training, how many classes have you had in evangelism? Right. Right. What if we had resumes like that now? What kind of answers would we get? Can you imagine? And then here, do you believe the doctrines of the Methodist Episcopal Church as embodied in its discipline and teachings? And are you a member of that church in good standing? So that's more of a... Mm -hmm. Yes or no. Mm -hmm. Six, have you a thorough English or classical education? Which, of course, she could say yes. Mm -hmm. Seven, in what schools have you taught with what success? And, you know, here she wanted to teach school. This is where this gets very, uh, when she's on the mission field, it gets good. Eight, have you any knowledge of music, either vocal or instrumental? There were also questions about prior use of tobacco, intoxicating drinks, liquor, and narcotics, which, of course, she answered no, because she was part of the Women's Temperance Union. Right. Also, they asked, did she have any commitments that would interfere with her work? No, no boyfriends, no men in her life. Any family left? Mm -mm. Single? Wow. Right. She's so available. Mm -hmm. She had already moved to Haran, so she proved that she could live independently of her family. Did she have any business skills that would interfere? No. Only help. Only help. Exactly. Did she have friends who were willing to help support her? Yes, she did. Did she have any trades or talents she could teach to the children of Africa? Oh, yes, she did. Mm. Was she willing and capable to go into any field that might be assigned to her? She answered yes. Susan led devotions for the little convoy of 11 that was chosen to go to Africa with Bishop Taylor. One woman from the Women's Foreign Mission Society noted her heart was then in Africa, and it was my privilege to bid her Godspeed as she left there on her way to the Congo as a faith missionary. 
Susan sailed for Africa in 1887. The first stop was Liverpool. Susan had packed her bag with medical supplies and teaching materials. She arrived in Cambinda, Angola, and spent the first six months there. Now, Bishop Taylor is a bit of a character. And she's going to learn that he's a bit of a character. And he believes in self-supporting missionaries. In other words, he won't pay any salary. He doesn't raise any support. All the missionaries have to raise their own support. So the only funding she has is the the pains. Remember the mm-hmm. pastor and his wife from Lafayette. They save nickels for her at their church to help support her. And the... Um, WFMS sponsors her, and these women and the pains, they'll also send her care packages. But for the next 10 years uh, that Susan Collins served in Africa, she would receive only the money and supplies that were sent to her from her friends in America for the next 10 years. Bishop Taylor's vision was to set up education stations that would train the young men in manual skills so they could create a self-sustaining environment and the young girls in skills that could also train them to be self-sustaining. He really had that motto, self-sustaining, self-sustaining. Once in Africa, Susan and the others were trained in basic ways to avoid malaria. So she had to go through all this training once she reached there um, and sun exposure. They were required to be in bed at 9 o'clock and have their blankets only covered to their waists. Bath times were with tepid water and only in the morning or prior to dinner. And the bath times were scheduled like that to avoid exposure to mosquitoes. Mm. So dinner was at 11 o'clock in the morning and consisted of meats, fish, vegetables, dry bread, weak tea, and condensed milk. Then they had two and a half hour break at to rest before resuming their work. Supper was at 6.30 and was fish, fowl, meats, vegetables, dry bread, rice, tapioca, sago, which is um, like a cassava. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the root and macaroni pudding. So Susan was already facing insurmountable trials from the lack of safe food, clean water, adequate housing, and the mosquitoes, medical care. There were also deadly cobras, mamba snakes, wild animals, including lions and leopards and crocodiles. Oh, wow. Besides all this, and the rules of where she was staying, she had to learn new languages and the new culture. She first served among the Mabundo people who spoke Kimbundu, and she learned Kimbundu. Now, Kimbundu was called a matrilineal society. And I looked that word up because I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Matriarchal? It, it is. Yeah. Even though the men rule, you, everyone is identified by who their mother was. Right. That's, that's throughout Africa and a lot of places oh, where the women that's right. I really— I went there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So uh, girls were sold by their parents to older men. In order to buy cattle from the groom's family, young men, 12 to 14, um, were forced to do Makondo from May to October, three to five months. And Makondo was where they were stuck in the middle of the jungle and they had to learn survival skills. The people also believed that their dead ancestors controlled their lives uh, by sending disaster if they were not appeased, if they Mm. did not honor them or give them sacrifices. Bishop Taylor had asked certain of the chiefs who wanted help 
uh, and wanted schools to build the houses for his missionary teachers and preachers and plant a garden for them. They would then accept students from the village if the chiefs met this condition to train in education, industrial work, health care, and the Bible. Susan was also given five rules when she landed in Africa. Um, this is one. Rule one, on arriving in Africa, there will be enough to do. The constant danger is from overdoing. One must, therefore, at first put on the holdbacks till acclimated. Then work can be done frequently. Two, there are heavy dews, D-E-W-S, and one should be in the house by sundown and not go out much until after sunset. And care should be had not to get wet, again, from the malaria. Mm-hmm. Three, eat sparingly at first of native fruits. you got to get your mm. system used to it. Four, by some arrangement, have a fire for 15 to 20 minutes in every room where one sleeps uh, to dry off the dampness. And this is what they said. This will do more to save from sickness than all medicines. Too much stress cannot be laid on this. Five, I love this one. Maintain a cheerful spirit by exercising a strong faith in God. Rest sweetly in his will and look for all needed grace at all times. Oh, I like rule number five. I'm glad he added that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I have a question. Uh, Susan came with, what was that, 11 others? But is she alone at this particular station? No, or at first they're all together, that, and then they'll okay. be assigned. Okay. So her during Susan's first year in Africa at the West African Guinea Coast, um, she met Amanda Berry Smith, which is really exciting because we've talked about yes. Amanda Berry. Amanda Berry was um, an evangelist um, in the States. Her father helped with the Underground Railroad. Yes. I love Amanda Berry Smith. And she had gone to England and Africa, um, even India, as an evangelist. Um, it always fascinates us how the women that we talk about, eventually we research another and they yes. somehow were connected. either inspired by or connected Met. with. Mm-hmm. 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 So um, it, Amanda commented on that. Uh, she would comment in fact i've got another comment in here um because she would talk so glowingly of susan and what a Mm. godly woman she was and how amazing she was Mm. but that's like a meeting sometimes you hear about people meeting you're like i would have loved to have been there you know that's one of those meetings i would have loved to have heard those two godly women fellowshipping well just even before i came in studio today i told cheryl oh i just had coffee with this certain woman you have to meet her and cheryl said I've been wanting to meet her. So it's, yes, I love that our women that we talk about, that God orchestrated some of those overlapping meetings. Love that. Because we all need that encouragement and inspiration. And it seems that, yeah, it's the friendship, but it's also the um, encouragement of how ministry is so similar and yet so different for each of us. And to spark, it's that iron sharpening iron. It is. That like faith. That like faith. Like faith. Like we both believe in the same God. And we're in the same this place. Fills you up because we you know go, okay, our God can work. Onward, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not alone. So Susan was then sent up the Congo River. Um, another training ensued for Susan um, once she got there because she had to learn about which plants and insects were dangerous, poisonous. Oh, not only the snakes, now the insects. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> also, how to survive the weather conditions and the social customs of the people in order not to offend them. 
In 1888, Susan was stationed with a woman named Mary Kildare at a place named Chavunga near Banana. So I'm just going to call it Banana because <laughs> I can say Banana, but I don't know if I'm butchering these other words. So uh, Banana was on a peninsula with the ocean beach as its only street. Susan writes a letter at this time to a friend who was living in Haran. Dakota. Yes. (laughs) The natives seem glad to have us here, and they are very pleasant and ready to learn. What a need we have for missionaries here. Men, women, and children go around almost naked. Some of them wear nothing but a loincloth. They know very little about good morals. The men have as many wives as they can afford to buy, and they are perfect slaves to their husbands. They will walk long distances with a child tied to their backs, going to the field to work, while the man lies around at home. Such is a heathen life. Amen. The greatest drawback is we can do so little the first year because we must learn the language. There are only a few here who can understand English. My health has been good ever since I left home. Nearly every one of the company that came out when I did have been sick with African fever. That's what happened Mm. to the other 10. But I have not been sick a day yet. And I'm very grateful for good health. Africa is a very beautiful country. We never have cold weather. The dry season, the hot season in the United States is the coldest season here. But now it is midsummer. Gardens are beautiful and green corn is almost ready for the table. The wood is alive with music of birds and some of them are very pretty. I can hardly believe that it is January. Susan had many opportunities to use her nursing skills. It is believed that she was able to develop these skills when she took care of her ailing mother, sisters, Mm. um, brother, and father. Mm -hmm. Susan lived in a corrugated iron house with Mary Kildare. After serving 25 months in the Belgian Congo, Bishop Taylor reassigned Susan to Pungo Andongo Mission in Angola. She arrived there in September of 1889. To get Pungo Andongo, Susan had to travel by hammock strung on poles carried by porters, which was called a machila. machila. Um, She had to go by donkey, wagon, and foot, and steamship, and then climb over craggy cliffs and hills. It was 200 miles at least inland for where she had been stationed in Banana. A journey. (laughs) What a journey. I know. And persevering and healthy. In 1890, Bishop Taylor appointed Susan to the Dondo mission to replace workers who had suddenly left and gone back to the U.S. It had become too much for those workers. Mm. Three previous female missionaries had died there. Susan was the only teacher at the station, the only Mm. teacher. Later in 1890, Susan resided at Melange Mission and assisted Samuel and Ardella Mead at the Dondo mission. So the bishop recognized in Susan indefatigable energy. The mission was enclosed by a large wall, and in the fields between the wall and the mission house, crops of corn, beans, sugarcane, and beets were grown. Susan started a store where the excess crops were sold to local people. Her business skills are yes. amazing, and she combines them with her um, her garden ability, and she's like, We'll have a store. And this is how she's able to help the mission and pay. Then the boys at the mission learned how to take care of a range of animals, cattle, oxen, pigs, and chicken. There were meetings three nights a week, which included worship sung in three different languages. School began at 830 each morning with Bible drills, singing, prayer, 
at one in the afternoon, the children went to chapel to receive instruction from Susan. Girls were taught to sew, making clothes for the younger children, do laundry and cook. She also knows how to Mm -hmm. teach laundry. Um, She also was a great seamstress. Susan was known also for being a great cook. She's everybody's favorite cook. What can't she do? What (laughs) can't she do? Yeah, But she would claim that she learned how to cook from her mother, who was also an Mm. excellent cook. Supper was at six. Then until bedtime, they read and studied the Bible. Susan led prayer meetings two nights a week. One was at the house of some people in the village and the other at the mission house. Susan celebrated her 40th and 41st birthdays in Melange. Susan served in Dondo until 1892. By this time, she felt ready to start her own home and school for children. She wanted to transfer to Kanandua. Susan left for Kanandua, 62 miles um, west of Molenje. Now, she's already pretty far into the interior yes. of Africa, and she's willing to go even further. She opened a home in Kanandua in March of 1892. So this is a woman who can move and act independently. I mean, she's just such an asset um, to Bishop Philip and to the mission there. Two small just boys. I'm so curious, Cheryl. I just, yes. I mean, if there was a, certainly the benefit of her experiences of hardship and difficulty in learning business and, and nursing and everything, but also when she arrived in Africa, that she, because she was African-American, Wherever her family had come from, mm-hmm. I'm, we're guessing because her father was an indentured servant. Her, her father had come from Tennessee. Oh, you mean originally in yes. Africa, right? Yes. But was I? You just are curious if there was a sense that when she came into these villages, so remote, if there was a sense of, oh, you look like us, or you have an understanding of us, just because she had that advantage, right? Over right, right. all the white women that died that right. were that had the same heart, I want to come and help. But there, the white missionaries are such an anomaly in right. that part of the world. They said though that the people were fascinated by her. Later, she'll have a woman. We'll talk about that named Martha Drummer, who also came from the states and was also um, black. And she and Martha both dressed so beautifully. Oh, and the children loved to touch their skirts. And they just, they almost looked at them like movie stars. Yeah. They came with that Western influence. <laughs> yes. And they were so, and they were so impressive. You see pictures of Susan. She was beautiful. She never mm. married, but she just wanted to serve the Lord. While she was, um, before she moved to Kanandua, She was given two small boys because their mother had died. Susan lived alone with the boys until September when she received enough financial aid from the States. An American friend had sent her $60 to take in two girls. The number of children began to increase slowly, mainly girls. At times, the girls were removed by relatives from the school because they wanted to sell the girls into a marriage. The girls were always taken against their will. June 9th. 1897, five years after beginning the school in Kanandua, Susan reported, We have school usually four hours in the forenoon for four days each week. In the afternoon, I teach them various things such as sewing, cooking, washing. I teach the boys to work in the garden, cut wood, and bring water. In each case, I teach them to read in their own language first and then in English. Four of the five read in the English Bible as well as in the Kimbundu. So we read English or Kimbundu each morning before prayers. In the evening, I teach them Bible verses and catechisms. 
Thursday evening, we have our prayer and class meeting. I've regretted that I hadn't as many as I could take care of. Did she ever sleep? I know. (laughs) And listen to this. They give me but very little trouble, and I believe that they have the fear of God before their eyes to some extent. And my greatest desire for them is that they may be converted to God. I love that. She's not forcing. She's modeling it and teaching. It's just her passion, Mm -hmm. the love that she has for them. At this point, Susan is 43 Mm. years old and serving alone as mother and teacher to eight children. Donations from America and produce uh, grown and sold from the school garden was their only means of support. Um, Finally, in 1897, she was given a household budget of 250 for expenses and the 10 children living with her. She... At one point, she didn't have any shoes. Her shoes were totally worn out. Mm. Um, but she prayed about it. And wouldn't you know, the pain sent a package over that happened to contain shoes. <laughs> so Bishop Taylor's niece about this time, Dr. Jenny Taylor, and I would love to research her, met Susan. And she wrote about her. Sister Collins herself was the chief attraction. So congenial and such a help to me spiritually. Our religious experience were so much alike, she understood me better than the majority of people do. Um, Bishop Taylor's niece was a doctor that had come to serve in the African mission. Um, Susan's cousin sent her uh, support and an article from a newspaper in Fayette, uh, Iowa, that featured an article about her in the work she was doing in Kenandua, like, we've got our own star serving in (laughs) Amanda Berry um, also was yes. uh, quoted in this article, and she describes Susan as one of the most noblest ladies, and that God had made a great woman out of her while preserving her health and strength. Susan grew pineapple, oranges, bananas, pawpaws, whatever those are, limes, as well as beans and cassava. African meals were usually cornmeal, mush, and milk, as well as cassava. Trying to run the mission as self-supporting and on such a wee budget was hard for Susan. Um, She had to go without, and there were many deaths among the mission group because of the deprivations. Susan's friends in Lafayette, as well as the um, WFMS, found out about Susan's needs and would send her gift packages. Um, One time, they even sent her um, dried apples with cinnamon. She had requested it and then um, said better of it, like, no, no, you don't have to. They sent her a year's supply of dried apples with cinnamon and a new outfit. This is when the shoes came. Um, Bishop Taylor was replaced by Bishop Joseph Hartzell. Bishop Hartzell felt that all the missionaries should have salaries as well as support. This eased the burden, I know, on (laughs) Susan and others. Susan then was able to start sending a small stipend back to the Paines in Lafayette. And they saved all of Susan's money for her. They put it in a bank account and were just letting it accrue. Bishop Hartzell recognized Africa as the world's most difficult mission field. The school was moved from Kanandua to Keswa in 1898. Susan was matron and teacher in charge of the school as well as the head of the orphanage. The orphanage housed about 20 children. The boys who were formerly under Susan's care were sent to industrial school. Susan served for 13 years in Africa and 10 of those without a salary before she took her first furlough back to the United States. While in the States, Susan was asked to speak at various churches. She made her first stop in New York, then Lafayette, of course, Iowa, right, before going to California. Susan was able to raise money for the school in Keswa as well as make many new friends. 
Miss Collins took charge of the meeting and gave a very interesting account of her work in Africa. She also told us many things concerning their customs, work, and products. They said that when she spoke, it was spellbinding just to hear her stories. And um, she would talk about the children, each one. Well, we saw a little bit of that in the letter that she wrote home because she's describing how lovely to hear the birds singing. And right. so you can just feel the atmosphere. She's talking about the, because of her love for gardening, maybe, that the, mm-hmm. but that the green that was all around her. Exactly. So her talks were always well-received. She was um, in demand. So at the time, uh, women who were born in 1851, which Susan was, um, their life expectancy was 39 years. Really? And she was now 50. So the mission. 39. She was, she was just getting started right. at 36, was it? When yes. she first went to Africa. Right. And wow. now she's 50. So the mission board was concerned about Susan's age and having a return to Angola. While in California, Susan appealed to the WFMS Pacific Branch to let her return to the work in Keswa. Here's her work that she started. And they're saying, well, hmm, we're not sure you're so old. So old. Her earnest Christian spirit, energy, knowledge of the African people, modesty, and work ethic impressed these women, and they expressed an interest in her return and sponsoring her. However, they stipulated that she must have a work partner. While she was in Pasadena, California, Susan was accepted by the Pacific Branch of the WFMS, Women's Foreign Mission Society, to serve as their missionary. She was their first missionary of color. Susan was also given $1,323 to pay, pay her salary for three years. Finally, they cited, someone sees the value. Right, they <laughs> cited her long needs. and faithful work for Africa is our assurance that results will come from this generous giving. They also commended Susan's devoutness of spirit, strong common sense, readiness for emergency, generous and unselfish heart, and her outstanding character, as well as her good health. This is a quote. No better work was ever done on the continent of Africa than that done by Susan Collins. Fabulous. A person she met in California would write this. The lady's name was Abby Mills. But such as she does not rest easily in a world where there is so much to be done on salvation lines. When it seemed doubtful whether she would be sent back to her work, she prayed that she might be just as willing to stay as she had been to go. Mm. Isn't that incredible? Mm. Nevertheless, when the way opened for her to return, there was a peculiar light in her eye and a smile that told how glad she was to go with a light step and a hallelujah heart. There it is. She bade her friends there goodbye to undertake her long journey. Susan left the U.S. on November 13th, 1901 on the steamer Oceanic. We had some other missionaries mm-hmm. that took that steamer. Mm-hmm. One month after landing, Susan reached Keswa. It took her a month to get yep. back to Keswa. In January of 1902, Susan was received back with great rejoicing. Her replacement co-worker, Miss Josephine Meckelson, had come down with a fever, and Susan's first order of business was to nurse her back to health, as well as resume all the duties of the school. Susan wrote, I have had two or three little brushes of fever myself, but nothing serious, and am most thankful that I have been able to keep on my feet to care for others. Well, doesn't it seem, too, that with that time that she spent in Pasadena and the support from the women there, 
that there had to be a, a awareness of the needs. So someone was praying now. Right. Like I'm sure right. they were from so the good. Dakotas and right. Chicago. But that foundation and that prayer support and that base yes. had to be essential for, for it still is, obviously. But that had to be a great comfort to her to know that she had those that were back in California praying for her. That's right. The only thing that was hard with the new support is under the new guidelines, besides everything else she did, she had to add her duties, bookkeeping and reporting to the WFMS regularly. She had to itemize uh-huh. all the school's needs from books, fuel, medicines, and other needs and write descriptive letters back. Uh, concerning the work in Keswa, but we are so thankful for those letters because that's the only way we know how effective and what was going on. I'm going to stop there because I think we're going to have to do a part three. Okay. Well, and she certainly was quite adept at writing those descriptive letters. And then that only um, initiates more sympathy and more support. Especially someone who can make you feel like you're there Mm -hmm. and part of it. And I think her humility drew people in to feel like they were part of it. Not like I'm doing this for Jesus. What are you doing for mm. Jesus? But more of we're doing this for Jesus. And thank you for sending me so I could do this for you, for Jesus. Amazing woman. So we'll come back next week for part three. Are you ready? Yes, Cheryl Broderson. I am ready. This is Robin Jones Gunn. We will look forward to hearing more about Susan next time. Next time. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.